like to talk about Dogecoin. Maybe a month or so ago, I made a, a podcast saying that Dogecoin is a, a great investment. And uh, back then, uh, Dogecoin was worth about, um, at its peak, maybe 70 or 75 uh, US cents. And um, since then, it's gone down from there down to about 20, 25 cents. And you know, many people may um, may criticize, um, you know, criticize my um, my statement that it's a good, good investment because it's gone down a lot. Um, but in my opinion, you know, this is just the the nature of cryptocurrency, um, and it's not just Dogecoin that's gone down a lot. Uh, it's also you know, Bitcoin and uh, Ethereum uh, that they've all gone down uh, quite a bit, and this is just um, like I said, the nature of cryptocurrency. It's a it's a very volatile asset class. Um, that being said, just because a an asset class is more volatile, it doesn't mean that you should not invest in it. Because if you want to invest in a low volatility asset, then you just put your money into cash. And the problem with that, of course, is that although you want, you're not going to lose anything. You know, if you put a hundred dollars into the bank, you're not, it's still going to be a hundred dollars, we'll ignore inflation, but, you know, it's not going to, chances are it's not going to go down from a hundred to twenty dollars, um, it's just going to be a hundred dollars, but at the same time, it's not going to go up either, it's not going to go from a hundred to two hundred, so... If you want to get upside, you have to accept the downside. That's one of the uh, laws of economics, I would say. That in order to get returns, you have to take on risk. And risk is uh, pretty much defined as volatility. Um, The more... Uh, return you want, the more risk you have to take, the more risk you take, the more volatility you must accept. These are these are the rules of economics, and these rules are, in my view, um, as as um, as part of nature as laws like like um like gravity you know just as the um an apple thrown into the air will come back down so too um you'll get higher returns by taking on higher risk and this is you know due to i i can't go into all the details because it's it's basically um the um, the efficient frontier. Um, if you Google that and do your research, there's um, there's a whole 
level, uh, there's a whole series of um, studies done into this, and uh, basically through through arbitrage, your your uh, the market will um, you know f uh, ensure that low risk assets pay lower returns. And, and we can already see this through um, you know, lending or, or the debt market. If you have um, you know safe borrowers, um, so let's say you have um, you know sovereign bonds. So basically, if you buy the bond, buy bonds of a you know a, a safe country, say. Um, you know, Japan, or the US, or Switzerland. If you buy the bond, bonds of these countries, um, you're effectively lending to them, and the interest rate you get is usually very low, or negative. And, but if you buy the bonds of an emerging market country, such as um, you know, Argentina, or Brazil or Chile, then the yields are higher, the interest is higher, and, and that's because of the risk, the risk of default, for instance. So, you know, the market automatically uh, ensures that um, this risk return, um, that risk return is, um, the market ensures that there is um, a risk return trade-off. So that is, and it's, there's no way you can, unless you can beat the market, there's no way you can um, outdo the risk return trade-off. Um, some people, a lot of people, I think, try to um, um, try to outdo the Risk return trade off, but really they're just deluding themselves. Uh, I, I, know, I know that sounds. You know, let, let me explain this. For example, I think that a lot of um, uh, short term trading is um, it's it's a delusion. Like so, there's a lot of studies that show that um, you know short term traders or just traders in general who try to, you know, buy a stock and then, you know, when it's low and then sell it when it's high, um, a lot of them fail to, to beat the, the market, which is defined as um, uh, an, an index fund that weights um, the assets by, um, by market capitalization. And I think the, the main mistake that these traders make is that they're trying to rationalize to themselves um, safety. They think that, like, they think that they can talk themselves into um, being able to get all the, the upside without having to accept any of the downside. So, and... The thing is, it's very easy to to rationalize this after the fact. 
So, you know, if a stock or crypto goes up in value and then it goes down, then they could say to themselves, oh, well, you know, obviously you'd, you'd sell the top and then you just buy it back in when it's at the bottom. But, you know, how, how are they going to know that it's the top? And how are they going to know that at the bottom it's going to go back up again? Like, if we look at all the cryptos. Um, so, basically, the top occurred in May. And before that, the um, if you look at the um, total crypto market cap, it, it was going up a lot. And many times before that, it dipped. So back in um, back in, in April, the cryptos went down, and a lot of people I know sold at that time, um, thinking that it was the top. But what actually happened was it just it kept going back up, and because of uh, FOMO, they bought back in. Um, when it was higher, and and then it went, and then it just kept going up, and then you know it dipped again in May. Now that was, you know, in hindsight, that was the right time to sell. Um, but you know, if if you would have sold it then, very easily, it could have just gone up even more. And and so this is the. This is the problem with um, with market timing because if you you can make two mistakes you can you, you can sell and it could continue to go up or you can buy and it could go down so and then you've got to think about well you know when do I get back in because the, the same problem can emerge on the other end, the, uh, the so-called dead cat bounce. So, it goes down, and then it goes back up again. And then you buy in, thinking it's the bottom, but then it keeps on going down. So, there's all these tricks, and it's, you know, it's, it's, it's very easy to explain it away after the fact, but to actually do it is is much harder, I think. And um, I think when people claim that they can explain it after the fact, this is a case of them trying to um, go against the risk-return trade-off, uh, which, in my opinion, is the financial equivalent of of denying gravity, you know, like it's, 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 it's very hard to do, it's probably possible to deny, to, you know, um, you know, jump or, you know, use a rocket to go against gravity, but it's, 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 it's very hard, it's easier to just go 
zone with gravity. Uh, you know, go with the uh, the laws of nature. So then, if you ca if it's really hard to market time, the question is, what do you do? You know, how are you supposed to invest? And I think this um, goes back to your ability to, to tolerate risk. So basically, when you're when you're young, you you should be able to take on more risk, and and the reason why is because you've got you've got a lot of time on your hands. So, for example, if you're close to retirement, and let's say you have a million dollars, you or say let's say you have two million dollars and you're 70 and then you've got all your money in um, you know, one stock let's say you have all your money in Tesla stock $2 million in Tesla stock and you're 70 and then you retire and then the very next day after you retire the Tesla stock goes down you know, 30% and you know, you've just lost um, you know, $600,000 know, in just one day and um, you know, this is quite, um, you know, this this will have a huge impact on on your on your retirement. Um, so you, you really shouldn't be, um, um, you know, t taking on large risk, um, you know, just before you you retire. But when you're young, um, you. The difference between a young person and an old person is an old person doesn't have that many years of work left, uh, but a young person does. You know, a young person in his or her twenties, um, you know, he's got all the time, a lot of time to work to recoup any losses. Plus, a young person is, um, you know, not going to have that much money invested. So, let's say um, a young person, twenty, just got out of school or university uh, starts work at a um, some company and earns um, you know, 50k and let's just say that this young person keeps all that 50k and invests it 50k into Tesla stock and then after the first year Tesla goes down 30% and so 15k is wiped off the this young person's net worth but this is not a huge disaster because it, you know, this young person's just started working and you know next year he can um, earn another 50k and and um, pretty much recover from those losses plus he's got another you know, many decades ahead of him plus it was only 50k invested so we can see here that the the how far you are to retirement, or how close you are to the top retirement, um, determines how much risk you should take. The, the closer you are to retirement, the, the less risk you can take. So a good way to do this is just to, um, many people, um, 
give the age in bonds um, recommendation, which is comes from the fact that bonds or government bonds are considered very safe. They're effectively um, lending to the government. So if you buy a, um, a treasury bond, then you're, you're lending money to your own government and you're, you're kind of assuming that this is very safe, that um, you know, the, only, the only risk is that you know, if the government collapses, then, then you're in trouble. Um, but uh, you know, if you live in a, a government that's in a country whose government is historically stable, then um, you know these investments are considered to be low risk, and that's the whole idea behind age in bonds. So you know, if you're 20, you have 20% in bonds, but if you're 70 years of age, then you have 70% in bonds. And, and this this provides a, um, a very simple rule to um, to reduce risk as as you uh, get older, as as you near uh, retirement. So that that makes sense. However, I would the problem with that is that well, what if you you know what if you don't want to retire when you're 70. You know, what if you want to retire um, you know, earlier? Um, or what if you want to gain financial independence earlier? So, this is where the FIRE movement comes in. Uh, the FIRE movement, um, you know, you can do a lot of research on it on the internet, but uh, basically, it is, um, so it's it stands for financial independence, retire early. Basically, it rejects the idea that, you know, we spend our whole lives working and, um, you know, we, we work for our whole lives and then at, at 70, we retire and, you know, five years later we die. It's, the idea is that you live uh, very frugally, minimalistically, and in your, say, 30s or 40s or 50s, then you, you can retire. Now, there are, there are some people who um, say that it's not, it's better to focus not on early retirement, but instead focus on financial independence and um, and, and the, the idea behind this is that um, you know there are some people who, who, who criticize early retirement saying that it's it's very risky and you know because if you um, let's say you you save up a million dollars and uh, you turn say 40 and when you're when you're 40 and you have a million dollars, you retire. And let's let's just say that 
So the idea is that you you should spend four percent um, of your net worth every year. Now, according to this um, the the Trinity study, um, this should be able to last you well thirty years, I, I suppose. But there's a there's a chance that it won't last you that long, um, and, and you know because with investing there, there's a there's uncertainty. Um, you know these studies use the historic returns of the stock market, and what has happened in the past um, you know, for the stock market may, may not apply uh, in the future, and so. Have a million dollars, you retire at 40, let's say, you draw out 40k per year, and let's say you know, 10 or 20 years later, um, you know, there's a massive recession, um, a massive um, stock market, property market crash, everything's gone down, and after 10 or 20 years, you run out of money, and um, you know, that's not. That's not great. And so, the idea behind focusing on financial independence is that, um, you know, let's say you're 40 and you've saved up a million dollars. That, and, and you're still working. That is much better than someone who's 40 and has, you know, zero net worth. Because it gives the, the, the millionaire at 40 who's working has financial independence. Um, he or she has a freedom, more freedom to do uh, what they want. So let's, let's just say um, at 40, the, um, the, the, there's a restructure. In the um, in the organisation, and um, you know that you lose your job. Well, someone who has zero net worth at forty, they lose their job. They're in trouble. Like, how are they going to eat? How are they going to do anything? Like, how are they going to put a roof over their head? Whereas a millionaire at forty. Can um, can is is much better off. Um, you know they they can they've got a million dollars that they can draw upon. Um, and in that time they can they can look for a job. So basically, the the, the higher your net worth, the better off you are. But it's more than that because. It also depends on your spending rate, because if you're a millionaire, so if, if, if you've got zero net worth, but let's say you, um, you're able to survive on nothing, like let's just imagine that's possible, you know, some person lives under a, a bridge, but the bridge is very comfortable, 
and they're able to, um, um, you know, ride a bike around the city and pick food off trees or, or something, and they're able to live off nothing. Well, that person is better off than someone who is a millionaire but has to spend two million dollars a year to maintain their lifestyle because well I mean it's obvious because after one year that, that person's got a negative net worth so now these are very extreme examples um, in reality um, you know, it's it, it's more you know, moderate uh, forms of, of these. So let's let's say you have someone who um, has a uh, hundred thousand in, in net worth, but you know they 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 live um, like in a shack uh, and they spend almost nothing. Um, that person's better off than uh, a multi-millionaire who you know has a extremely expensive. Um, property and, you know, five or ten children that they have to, to look after, you know, so, so the bottom line is that, um, it's important to have money, with a, you need to have a high net worth, but you also need to keep your obligations low, and, um, in my opinion, a really easy way to do this is just not to have any children. Um, just, you know, get a vasectomy, or, you know, if you're a woman, then uh, get a, a tubal ligation, or just, you know, use contraception, and, and, and never have any children. Uh, this will uh, ensure that um, your obligations are quite low, um, and so that will, that will help you. But generally speaking, your um, net, net worth to annual expense ratio should be higher than 25. Uh, this is, um, this will, will ensure that you can withdraw 4%. It should be higher than that though. Like, in my opinion, you should be aiming for 3%. Um, because the 4% rule, um, has only been tested and is likely to last for 30 years only. But you need to, if you want to retire early, you're going to be retired for longer than 30 years, so you should aim for 3%. So your net worth to annual expense ratio should be 33 or higher. And this requires you to, one, increase your net worth, but also to, to reduce your annual expense. Like I said, the best way is to never have kids. And, you know, n not having kids is, um, it's not just the cost of kids, it's also the, the cost of getting kids. So, in, in my view, a lot of what we humans as animals or all living things do is there is you know by nature we we procreate 
And so a lot of what we do is to procreate. And procreation is, is, is very expensive, not, not just looking after the kids, not just feeding them, um, but also, you know, in order to procreate, we have to find a partner. And the, the finding the partner part is, in my opinion, one of the highest contributors to um, you know, consumerism and high expenses. You know, because, you know, let's, let's look at a, um, you know, typically in, in, in uh, you know, most cultures around the world, the, the woman needs to put on makeup, she needs to you know, wear nice clothes, she needs to, I don't know, go to the gym, she needs to diet, and, you know, this, this costs a lot of money, and she, I'm sure she wastes, you know, the average woman looking to be a mother wastes uh, an enormous amount of money, and, you know, but, and, and once she has the child, there's, there's more money wasted because she's um, away from work because she's pregnant, and, and then she has to look after the child if you know, the husband doesn't look after it, and you know, typically she does because that's how society usually is. Um, the, the cultural norm is that it's the woman who looks after the child, so she has to stay home and look after the child, she can't work. So then her uh, net worth goes down, her annual expenses go up, so the, the ratio of net worth to annual expenses goes up. So that's typically what happens for women. Um, for men, it's the same sort of deal, basically. To attract a partner, you have to you know, look a certain way, you have to wear nice clothes, you have to go to the gym, you have to, um, you know, it's, it's, it's the same for men as it is for women. You have to spend money in order to attract the opposite sex. And once you, um, once that's done, once you procreate, you've got to spend even more money. So, you know, if the, the woman is, um, accepts staying at home to look after the child, well, the man has to, you know, someone's got to pay for that. So the man's got to, got to pay for that. And, uh, you know, he's, because he's got, you know, three mouths to feed, his annual expenses go up, and uh, this is, um, you know, it just adds to the, the burden. It, it reduces his um, ability to save, which you know, lowers his net worth. Um, so yeah, it, it, it also affects the man as well. It affects everyone. And not only that, but you have a, you create a new child, and then that child has to you know, consider these issues. That child has to, uh, you know, work in order to, um, in order to, uh, you know, increase uh, their net worth and, and minimize their, their costs as well. So, all around, it's, it's bad. Um, you shouldn't have any kids.
this is the reason why I'm never going to have any kids, and it's why I try to um, encourage other people never to have kids. So, basically, another reason why um, it's good not to have kids is because you're able to take on more risk. So, like I said, it's not good to um, take on a lot of risk in your investments before you're before you're retired. But basically, I think that it's not really about retirement. It's about financial independence. We all have. We, we all should know to a certain degree our financial independence number or our fire number. Um, as, as it's called in the fire movement, um, or a FI number. Basically, this is the amount that you need to uh, be able to cover your living expenses. So, let's say, like I said, I, I think the 4% rule is not, it's not good. We shouldn't really be relying on the 4% rule. We should instead be looking at the 3% rule. And we should be looking to uh, increase our net worth such that it's three, three times our annual expenses. So if this is the case, then let's say uh, for the sake, sake of simplicity that you can, you feel comfortable living off $30,000 per year. And this is a um, a fairly you know, frugal life. Um, you know, it may, it may be um, a one-bedroom apartment um, that you're renting, and um, you know you're you're not really there's nothing too extravagant about it. But a thirty k per year lifestyle under the three percent rule. So you multiply, um, you're, you're multiplying it by 33, you'll get to a million. You'll need a million dollars, basically. So, basically, you start off uh, with high risk. So you start your, you get out of uni or high school, you're, you want high risk in your investments. You know, you're investing in um, you know a diversified portfolio of cryptocurrencies. Then you put in some Tesla stock in there, and then you put in a um, you know some equity indexes, and um, you know you you have some um, um, some bond index funds as the you know the low risk investment, but you don't have that much, and then. Basically, what you should do is you should increase uh, the the percent you have in this bond index fund um, as you as you build your net worth. Because basically, rather than retirement, you're looking at financial independence. So let's say you're twenty, and after 10 years, or 15 years, let's say, 
is, you know, saving a million dollars in 10 years is, is quite uh, an, uh, an achievement. It's, it's doable. But let's say in 15 years, you have a million dollars. And basically, in my opinion, if, if you start at age 20 and at 35 you're, you're a millionaire, if your annual expense that your, you know, your fire number is 30k, when you're 35, you should have a lot of your money in bonds or, or, or a safe investment, an investment you consider as safe. Um, that, that could be like gold, for instance. And, and, <coughs> and the reason why is because when you're 35, and you know you feel you can spend 30k a year you don't want the you know the stock market or the crypto market or the property market crashing just before you reach your fire number you know you you're almost there you've almost gotten that amount you need to live a life that you um you know feel is, is enough, you've almost got your free, your freedom, and then if there's a, a huge crash, boom, it's all, it's all gone. You don't want that. So, basically, um, when you're young, you have high risk, but when you get closer to your fire number, you have lower risk. So, in, now, the exact percentages, um, is, um, is, um, you know, up for debate. It depends. Everyone's got a different risk tolerance. But in my opinion, um, you, you should identify some asset that you feel is low risk, like bonds or cash or gold or, you know, in crypto form, it'd be some sort of stable coin, um, you know, a diversified portfolio of stable coins. And you follow age in bonds, and the bonds can be substituted for any of these low-risk assets. But you only do this up to where you, up to your fire number. So, once you get to a million dollars, then you stop doing agent bonds and in my opinion once you once you hit your fire number you should start increasing the risk and the reason why you should do this is because once you've hit your fire number then you've you're safe. You've built the safety net. You know? So, let's say you're, you know, you, you can easily live off a million dollars. You know, let's say you can easily live off 30k a year. You know, you're happy to live, um, in, in your one bedroom apartment in the city and you're, you know, eating rice and beans every day. And you're, you're happy with that. And, you only need a million dollars for that. So let's say you have a million dollars and you, you get that by age um, 
Well, now your portfolio should be fairly safe by then. Now maybe if you're following agent bonds, that would be 35% bonds. I mean, perhaps it should be even higher than that. Um, but my, my point is, once you've got that, the next million dollars you make, it should be in high-risk investments. Because if you've if you've got um, a million dollars already, and it's in fairly safe investments. Well, the, the money you make after that, it, it doesn't matter. Like, it just, if, if you lose it all, you've still got your million dollars. So, because of this, you can take on infinite risk. And, and so, your risk tolerance has switched to pretty much being infinite. You know, because it, it, it doesn't matter if you lose your money. Um, you have your million dollars. So, I, I probably haven't articulated this very well. But, um, you should identify your fire number, let's say it's a million dollars. As you get closer to your fire number, make your make it safer. But then beyond that, you, you should any additional money you're putting in, you, you should take risk. Because there's no there's no downside. Because you have you've already created the safety net. Even if you fall and you fail, you'll fall on your safety net. So you've capped your downside, and you've got limitless upside. You know, this is called asymmetric risk. So, that is my, that is my point. If you can um, keep your, um, your obligations low, the easiest way is not have kids. If you can keep it low, then the safety net that you build, you should be able to build it fairly fast. And once you build your safety net very fast, you can get to work on um, you know, taking risk. And because you've already built your safety net, you can take infinite risk. And from infinite risk, you could get, you, in theory, you'll get infinite returns. So this is, uh, this is how you do it. You need to, it, it all comes down to keeping your obligations low. Once you keep your obligations low, then the safety net is quick and simple to build. Once you've built it, you ramp up the risk. You've got asymmetric, asymmetric risk magnifying your returns. Um, if you have lots of kids, then the safety net that you have to build is much more expensive. You know, if, let's say you're young, you're in your 20s or your 30s, and you have five kids. Well, you know, 
kids. A million dollars is not gonna not gonna cut it. You know, it's you're, you're gonna need more than that. You're, gonna, you're probably gonna need probably three million dollars to you know to, to look after them properly, you know, to buy a good enough uh, house for them, enough you know a big enough one. You know, get them proper tutors. Um, maybe pay for their um, their university fees. Um, yeah, so it's it's gonna be expensive, and you know if you're if, if you got a million dollars in a balanced um, you know stock and bond um, or, or, or property portfolio, you know you can't really if, if you're building up the next million, you can't really invest in you know say Tesla stock or you know some speculative. Um, you know, or, 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 you know, Bitcoin or something, because you're taking quite a big risk, and it's your, it's your kids' lives, um, at stake here, and, you know, you, you can't just, um, you know, you, you've got all these bills you have to pay, and if, you know, the market turns against you, and, and, and you're, uh, you know, you've got this big bill coming in, you know, the school fees are, the school fee bill comes in and, you know, the, the market turns against you and, you know, it's not, it's not good. Whereas, you know, if the market turns against you and you've got, like, hardly any bills coming in because you're, 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 you're a minimalist, then it's not a problem. You know, you just let the market fall and you just sit back and, you know, hope that it goes back up again. So... That is, um, that is, um, how you do it.